Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. And today we have on Dan Buettner. Dan is the National Geographic Fellow and New York Times bestselling author of the Blue Zones, Nine Lessons for Living Longer from the People Who've Lived the Longest and the Blue Zones Kitchen, 100 Recipes to Live to Be 100. Dan, thanks for coming on. Uh, pleasure to be here. So as we're recording this in March of 2020, uh, the coronavirus is the top story everywhere and people are spending a great deal more time confined at home than they normally would be. So the ideas of how to live long and be happy and be healthy in this new environment are on everyone's mind. So um, we're going to get to all those different topics. But uh, first of all, I know you're a National Geographic fellow and you've done so much research on this topic all over the world. Uh, where have you traveled or what are some of maybe the highlights of your travel for researching these blue zones? Well, the idea was to, in a sense, reverse engineer longevity. And based on the, the Danish twin studies, we know that only about 20% of how long you live is dictated by genes. The other 80% is lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So the assumption that was originally funded by both National Geographic and the National Institutes on Aging was to uh, use demographers, hire demographers, to find the statistically longest-lived areas because we know they're living a long time because of their lifestyle and environment, if we can find the places and then bring in a second wave of scientists to distill exactly what those places are doing and what the common denominators are, we can come up with a pretty good uh, prescriptive for, for living longer ourselves. And uh, originally we identified uh, Okinawa, Japan, longest lived women, the highlands of Sardinia, the Noro province, uh, is the longest lived men, about 11 times more male centenarians there than you'd expect to see in the United States. Wow. The island of Ikaria, Greece, where they're not only uh, suffering a fraction of the rate of heart disease, but about one-tenth the rate of dementia, very important as we get older. Hmm. Uh, Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, uh, a place where people are about two and a half times more likely to reach a healthy age 90 than Americans are. And they're doing that spending about one fifteenth the amount we're doing on healthcare. So kind of bust the myth that you have to be rich to uh, live a long, healthy life. And then in the United States here, among the Seventh-day Adventists, um, they're uh, living about 10 years longer than the average American. So when you, when you identify those places, you find the common denominators. Uh, remarkably, you see kind of the same things happening over and over and over again, uh, yielding uh, not only a fraction of the rate of, of, of chronic disease, but uh, perhaps more importantly, uh, nine to 10 good decades of life. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, uh, you know, kind of bringing it into the present day here, um, how do you think these communities are dealing with this, this current situation? And I mean, have you talked to, to any of the people from there or, or kind of kept in tabs or kept in touch with them uh, during this time? Yes, I, I, my research uh, companion in, in uh, Sardinia sent me an email, and the, uh, the coronavirus has hit Sardinia. Uh -huh. um, it's affecting the Adventists, as is all Americans. Yeah, the one small advantage most Blue Zones have is they're, they're geographically remote. Mm -hmm. So 
the the uh, coronavirus is later to come there. Um, but they have a number of things I think that will protect them. You know, they have probably stronger immune systems because they're getting better sleep. Uh, they're eating less food. Uh, their lives are are um, less filled with the stressors that our lives are filled with. But so they have a slight advantage over the rest of us. They also have strong families. So if they're quarantined, they're less likely to be stuck all by themselves and, um, you know, tend to have very strong social networks. So, uh, I mean, they're, they're not going to get out of it, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, they're, they're uh, better equipped to cope. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with social distancing right now. And when you spoke at the, the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, you've also studied in, in addition to health and longevity, um, you know, talking about the blue zones of happiness. You said that the, the happiest people on earth have six hours a day of, you know, face-to-face -face interaction with people. Um, how, how are those people dealing with it? And I guess from a happiness perspective, how should we deal with it as we're, we're so much focused on social distancing? So my, so my specialty at National Geographic is finding the most extraordinary populations in reverse engineering. So mm -hmm. the Blue Zones of Happiness, I wrote a cover story on happiness, took a statistical approach. So um, and we don't use positive psychology, but when you, when you um, uh, distill tens of millions of data points from around the world, mostly the world poll, and do the, the regression analysis, you can see exactly the things that stack the deck in favor of happiness. One of them is six or so hours of social interaction. So that, that measurement is, has been done with a blunt instrument. So <laughs> the quality of, of, of our, our life satisfaction is a function of not only hours of happiness, but the quality of that interaction. So, you know, the, if you're with friends who you can sort of, uh, exchange sports scores and and uh, celebrity gossip uh, that's not going to be nearly as good as being with people with whom you can have a meaningful conversations people you know you can call on a bad day and they'll care uh, people who keep you meaningfully engaged with the world so you know now bring it back to what I think the essence of your question is if everybody's staying home what happens to our social life and I, I think if you live all alone, that's going to be tough. You know, they, uh, you can stay in touch with people via um, FaceTime and, and uh, uh, telephone and so forth. Um, but I think there, there may be a silver lining in families coming back together, mm -hmm. um, parents moving back in with kids. I know several uh, uh, examples of that, which is very blue zone. And uh, we live such scattered, busy lives that this time, I think, uh, gives us a chance to refocus on our family and maybe even strengthen the quality of uh, the immediate social ties with the, with the people we know. So uh, good and bad. So you just mentioned that um, parents moving back in with kids is a, definitely a blue zone thing. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so you see in all, in all blue zones, people keep their aging parents nearby. Something called the grandmother effect has shown that children who live in a home with a grandparent suffer lower rates of mortality and low rate, lower rates of disease. They also tend to do better in school. So that's going to favor the life expectancy. So, you know, when, you, when we talk about 
life expectancy of a population. We're not just talking about middle-aged people. We're talking about kids too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're talking about older people. And when older people stay at home, as opposed to being warehoused in a retirement home, uh, their life expectancy is somewhere between two and six years greater. Hmm. Um, part of it may be they get better care at home than they would in a, uh, when in, in a retirement home. Um, but it's probably more has to do with the older pe- person feeling they have a sense of purpose, um, feeling like they're needed. There's a psychosomatic reaction there. Uh, they're more likely to stay active, keep their mind engaged. They're more active to take, they're more likely to take their, their medicines and stay, um, uh, uh, eat healthier, but just stay engaged with the world. So it's, uh, this idea of keeping aging parents nearby, it's good for the aging parents. It's good for the kids. And by the way, it's good for you too, because <laughs> if you're, if you're sending the message to your kids that you take care of your aging parents, there's a less likely that you're, you're, I know, and I know you have a extraordinary daughter as less likely your extraordinary <laughs> daughter is going to kick you over to the retirement home when, when you hit your eighties and nineties. One of the other things you've talked about, I know you've got the, the blue zones kitchen, you know, hundred recipes to live to a hundred. Um, one of the questions we'll get a little bit more into but one of the questions we often ask speakers off air to get sound checks, but I'm going to ask on air for this one is what did you have for breakfast today? I had beans. I'm a contrarian. I, I, th- I think, you know, the, the Blue Zone Kitchen, the idea, I, I know it sounds like a cookbook, but it's way more than a cookbook. We did a meta-analysis in all five Blue Zones of dietary surveys done over the last century. And if you take a worldwide average, average of diets of centenarians, they're essentially eating five ingredients, uh, general groupings of ingredients. They're eating whole grains, corn, whole grain rice, and even wheat. Uh-huh. They're eating greens, uh, dozens of varieties of greens. They're eating tubers, like sweet potatoes. Uh-huh. Uh, they're eating about a handful of nuts a day, which conveys about two years of extra life expectancy. And the longevity all-star food, no matter where you go in the world, is beans. If you're uh-huh. eating about a cup of beans a day, it's probably adding about four years to your life expectancy. Wow. And you know, most of what passes as, as cereal in this country is just it's just uh, bowls full of candy that we yeah. put milk on. Even even Cheerios has a lot of sodium in it. And so uh, I've I've uh, switched over to savory breakfast. I I had a, a bowl of lentils and rice, and I put some mango chutney on there, a little sweetness in there, uh-huh. and some hot sauce, and then I ate some greens with it. And, uh, you know, people think, well, that seems like it's pretty severe for a, a, a breakfast. But once you get used to it, you crave it uh-huh. and you love how you feel. Your microbiome is, is uh, having a party down there that 100 trillion or so cells, uh, bacteria rather, that uh, provide the short chain fatty acid that control your mood and your, and your uh, immune system and, and inflammation. Uh, those are being fueled. And um, you you uh, you don't have an insulin spike and then that drop, so um, that's uh, that's my breakfast. Otherwise, I eat oatmeal, okay. which I think is the other all star breakfast. Okay, great. And then um, you know, as people, uh, I guess this is a much more timely thing. Uh, but as people are you know stocking up, you know that's the big story on right now. Are, are people stocking up um, and people getting things that they want to last for a while? Um, 
what, how would you advise people do that? What should they eat? What should they have as they are thinking about, uh, you know, cooking at home or, or stocking up on things? See, this is a huge opportunity. Uh, uh, Americans on average are living about 12 fewer years than they could be if they optimize their lifestyle. About 70% of that deficit comes from uh, our toxic food environment. We, Americans eat out about 110 times a year. And every time you eat out, you eat about 300 more calories than you would if you ate at home. Mm-hmm. You, um, you're more likely to eat high sodium, high sugar, high processed foods when you eat out. Uh, eating in, this is a phenomenal opportunity uh, for you and your family to relearn the art of cooking. Mm-hmm. And if you take a, a page from Blue Zone Kitchen, they're eating peasant food. These aren't expensive foods. And by the way, they're all shelf stable. You know, you think I need fresh organic foods to No, you don't. <laughs> uh, you get 90% of it. If you get yourself a huge bag of beans and I, it, you go to Costco for $9.99, you get a 25 pound bag of beans. <laughs> rice exercise right there, food. carrying that in. Um, you know, you want to make them, you want to have some spices to make it taste good. You want some oil. Um, you know, a lot of people like some oil, uh, but you know, my, my, my Blue Zones kitchen has about 50 recipes, uh, and how to make beans taste good. The most important ingredient in any longevity recipe is taste. Uh-huh. I could tell you the healthiest food in the world is fermented tofu or bitter melon, but if you don't like bitter melon or fermented tofu, you're, you're not going to eat it. <laughs> um, there's no short-term fix when it comes to longevity. You have to think decade years or decades of eating the same thing so take in take this period right now and you and your family learn how to make a, a, a half a dozen whole plant-based uh dishes you know an instapot or a crock pot it doesn't have to be fancy but that you like them so you have the skills you have the equipment to make it you know that you like it this is something that will become the dishes that you make on every Tuesday night or, you know, every Wednesday night, uh, take a Sardinian minestrone, for example, arguably the greatest, uh, health food cocktail ever invented, mm. um, and, and 10 easy ingredients that are shelf stable and cheap. And, um, and, and, and uh, uh, you taste it. I guarantee you'll love it. But if you, if you, if you love it, you're going to eat it for the long run. If you eat it for the long run, it's going to add, months or years to your life expectancy. So speaking of long run, that was yeah, an incredible uh, tie over uh, to my next question, but Listen, you're, you're a very accomplished uh, endurance athlete in cycling. I'm sure you're a, a runner as well, but uh, how can exercise benefit us now in this environment where everyone is, is worried about immune systems, but also the long run, and then, and what are the best types of exercises or, or what you've learned from Blue Zones? So I'm going to be disruptive here. Uh, if you look at exercise over the past 70 years, it has been an unmitigated public health failure. Uh, we keep hounding people to, to exercise and we sign up for expensive gyms and CrossFit, and et cetera. Fewer than 20% of people get enough physical, the minimum recommendations of physical activity that ain't working exercise is not working what 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 does what does work uh is getting in in a living in a neighborhood where it's easy to walk 
Mm-hmm. And even in lockdown, people still go to grocery stores. I'm sitting looking out my window right now and I'm walking, pe- watching people walk up and down the beach walk here. Mm-hmm. They're still social distancing. Um, in blue zones, nobody's pumping irons, running triathlons, these fry centenarians. But every time they go to work, every time they go to a friend's house, every time they go out to eat, it occasions a walk. Uh, today is the first full day of spring in much of the United States. Uh, you should be planting a garden. Mm-hmm. You might be rolling your eyes a garden. Uh, people who own gardens, they tend to get out every day to do a little watering. Uh, they're nudged to do a weeding. Uh, at the end, they, they, they harvest uh, and they emerge from the activity with, with uh, vegetables that presumably li- they like, so they're, they're more likely to eat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, deconvenience in your home. You do not need a mechanical convenience to do every piece of work in our daily lives. You can lift up the garage door by yourself. You can do a lot of yard work with hand tools. You can knead bread by, by hand. You can open cans. You can sweep. So thinking about deconvenience in our houses in, uh, to engineer physical activity back in our lives. In blue zones, people's environment nudge them into movement every 20 minutes. So yeah, I know people listening to this podcast, you guys have uh, uh, employees. Uh, you should think about systematically setting up their workday so they're nudged into more movement that they're incented to take public transportation, walk, or even riding their bike to work, that there's uh, stand-up desks, that you slow elevators down and decorate stairways so more people are likely to take that, that uh, meetings uh, happen standing up or during walks, that the, that the uh, workplace grounds are optimized so that people want to step outside when they can and have their meetings outside. That's the kind of thing that makes a huge difference. Rather than the delusion that we're going to give our employees a free gym membership and they're going to go. If you look at the data, they are going fewer than six times a month on average. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not doing what we hope it's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you want, if you want to get people more active, don't think of burpees, jumping jacks. Uh, think of cr- creating an environment so people are nudged into movement. So you, one of the things you talk about are the power nine. So these are the nine things that people do in these blue zones. Uh, here in America, in general, what are we best at doing out of those? And what is the worst that, we're, uh, that we do out of those? So just to distill the power nine, essentially people in blue zones are living a long time because they're eating mostly a whole food plant-based diet. They, they are moving every 20 minutes because their life is underpinned with purpose. They are surrounded by the right immediate circle of friends, and they live in places where the healthy choice is the easy choice. And it's that interconnected, mutually supporting cluster of factors that keep people doing things for the years or decades necessary to avoid a chronic disease. To answer your question, I would say the most important and actionable of those are paying attention to who we're hanging out with on a daily basis. We know that if your three best friends are obese and unhealthy, there's a 150% better chance that you'll be overweight yourself. Mm. Uh, If your friends drink too much or do drugs, that's contagious. Loneliness is contagious. Unhappiness is contagious. 
So curating a group of, of three or four friends who, uh, whose idea of recreation is golfing or playing tennis or going out for a run or a bike ride, uh, you know, as opposed to sitting around watching TV and eating Doritos. Uh, <laughs> friends who, uh, quite honestly, uh, you, you should, everybody should have at least one vegan or vegetarian friend in their social circle because that you will mindlessly and subtly uh, eat more plant-based food, which we know lowers chronic disease, mm -hmm. and then friends who care about us on a bad day. So forget the diet, forget the gym membership, focus on, and, and I'm not necessarily telling you to dump your, your old friends, but I am telling you if you proactively build, curate that, that's, that small circle of friend around, friends around you, the Okinawans call it a moai, M-O-A-I, uh, it's, it's a lasting intervention that will pay off in spades. Now, I'm curious, I always like to know the origin story for people. And with these things that you've learned, were so be, prior to doing all this, were you like this? And then you've learned all these things and just kind of enforced that? Or did you have a life change as you were learning all these things? I had a life change. And it's very hard to, uh, you know, I spent 20 years with this uh, Blue Zones work. And um, it, and, and I've done over 20, these weren't just one trip. I've been to Blue Zones over 25 times, and I know these people. Uh, before, you know, you mentioned it before, before Blue Zones, I, I biked across five continents, and, and I ate pretty much, you know, I call it the seafood diet. I, I ate, if I saw food, I ate it. Um, <laughs> so I've become much more conscious about what I eat. I've been much more conscious about who I spend my time with. Um, I've been much more conscious about um, living in places. Uh, I very proactively live in places that are consummately walkable and bikeable. Mm -hmm. I don't even have a car. You know, I, I'm fortunate I have a few houses, but but I don't have a car at two of the three houses because I, uh, I, I'm a big believer in walking, walking and the spontaneous social interactions that come from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess just to close up here, you know, if you were to, I know you mentioned uh, the the thing that people need to do um, of, of having these friends and these friendships that are, you know, curating your friendship list. What's one other thing that people should do specific to this time that we're living in with the, with social distancing, coronavirus, and, and the other things that we're dealing with? So I happen to know this from Gallup data. 70% uh, of Americans are not engaged with their work. They're calling. They're, so those of us who are at home and not at work right now, this is the perfect time to take stock. We know that people have a strong sense of purpose, life meaning, are living uh, seven to eight years longer than people are rudderless. Uh, uh, some of us, it's our family. That's all we need to worry about. Stop there. But for a lot of people, their purpose is wrapped up in their professional life. And uh, a, a, from, from both a happiness and a longevity perspective, you should have a job where you, on a daily basis, get to use your strengths to do what you do best, not just make money. As you you probably heard before, but after about seventy five thousand dollars, a marginal utility of more income flattens right off. So, uh, and that's a lot less in Middle America, by the way. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So if you if if your needs are taken care of, your basic financial needs are taken care of, uh, you should be thinking about a job where you can put your passions to work, uh, where you're giving something back to the greater uh, the greater whole. And every once in a while, this is the concept of flow. But at your job, three or four hours a time can just melt away. You don't even realize it uh, because. Most Americans are spending most of their waking hours at work, and that better be quality time. And now that we're home, now's the time to take stock. Should I really be doing the job I'm doing, or should I maybe think about a cup, uh, pay cut and doing something I really love? And now's your chance. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant Lauren D. of D. Associates and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.